Well, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's good to be with, uh, here with you. Uh, I'm excited about uh, the opportunity to open God's Word uh, with all of you. And uh, I know if you, if you need a Bible, that one of the ushers will uh, grab you one if you raise your hand. So, uh, This month, April, is National Child Abuse Prevention Month. And uh, maybe you just learned that for the first time. Uh, but it's a month for me that has become more and more meaningful um, in my life and uh, in, my, in my life with, uh, with Amy. Uh, many of the reasons we're going to explore this morning. Uh, but before we get going, I, did, uh, I do want to give you a brief history of, uh, of this month. In 1974, the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act was signed by President Nixon and marked the beginning of a new national response to the problem of abuse and neglect. In 1982, Congress made the decision that June 6th through 12th 12th should be designated as the first National Child Abuse Prevention Week. Then the following year, President Reagan proclaimed April to be the first National Child Abuse Prevention Month. There were activities coordinated at the federal level which included passing out information and promotional materials. Some of the first slogans were, kids, you can't beat them. And take time out. Don't take it out on your kid. Really, that no joke. It's pretty bad. Uh, obviously, the response to child abuse has come a long way since uh, these, these slogans were put up. Uh, with the establishment of the Blue Ribbon in 1989 as a, mo- as a memorial to children who have been affected by abuse and neglect, the year of the healthy child in 2005, and this year being the 41st anniversary of the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act, amongst many other things that occurred throughout the years. But of course, as you know, our God has been about caring for the orphans and the hurting, for the oppressed and the suffering uh, since the beginning. You've probably read verses such as Psalm 146, 5 through 9, which says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Or Psalm 10, 17 through 18, which says, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen your heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Or Psalm 34:18, which says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Or the New Testament classic, James 1:27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. As this April approached for Amy and me, our hearts were considering what we could do to, partic- to participate in the fight against child abuse. As many of you know, we serve at Camp Allendale and have seen the effects of abuse that are passed down often from generation to generation. But more importantly, we've seen how Jesus Christ enters the lives of the broken and hurting children and transforms their lives, breaking the cycle of abuse. And we felt drawn to give testimony to the work of God in our lives. And we we felt that God was telling us to share our journey. Many of you know that we spent the end of 2013 and almost all of 2014 seeking certification to be a foster family with Riverside County through our agency, Koinonia. It has been filled with, it has been a long journey filled with heartaches and sleepless nights, tears and overwhelming fears, 
worries and anxiousness, but most importantly, it has been filled with the grace of God, which we want to share with you more later. Uh, With that in mind, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, we can get started together. We're going to take a look at a parable which Jesus tells to his disciples and all the people as a conclusion for the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 4, Jesus begins his teaching by saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he called a few disciples, namely Peter and Andrew, James and John, and he went through the synagogues teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. So he got famous, and people started bringing to him all of the broken, all of the hurting, all of the diseased, all of the afflicted, and he provided healing for them. Jesus did not avoid those who were in pain or who faced grief and disappointment, but right away he involved himself with the hurting and oppressed. The crowd was compelled to follow him, and wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you want to see and hear what this guy had to say? And as the crowd followed him, he went up onto the mountain, sat down, and he began to teach them. Now, we don't have time to take a look at the whole Sermon on the Mount, so we're going to take an aerial view as we fly over the top. Jesus begins his teaching with the Beatitudes and covers various topics from adultery to fasting, anger to divorce, and love for one's enemies to storing treasures in heaven. In all, depending on how you count them, Jesus speaks to about 20 different topics, with our focus being the very last. It is important to note that the main way in which Jesus transitions from topic to topic is with the phrase, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Just tuck that away um, because we'll come back to it a little bit. So then let us begin in verse 24 with Jesus' words. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So we have it that Jesus uses this little story to teach about one who hears and does, and one who hears and does not. And this is our our main focus for the morning. This verse serves as a warning of God's impending judgment, and that is what he's trying to convey to the crowds. He is offering them a solid foundation, a life built on the rock, the words of Jesus, the gospel. He is telling his disciples in the crowd that I am strong and immovable. You can risk your all on me. As we break down this passage, we're going to take a look at some similarities and differences between the two men. In truth, the two men have a lot in common. They both have heard the gospel. They've been exposed to the truth of God's word. And we know from these words of mine that Jesus is referring back to the whole of his sermon in which he said many times, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. Both of the men built houses. Each of them went about providing for their, a roof over their heads and a home for their family. Now entertain me for a minute. Let's think about what Jesus' description of the two men might have been if he spoke it today. Both of these men have pretty typical lives. They make friends. They go to work. Perhaps they even attend the same church. They might share a favorite coffee spot or might even coach opposing teams at their kids' soccer games. 
But when you take a closer look at their lives, the houses or the kingdoms that they are building are drastically different. To the outsider, the foolish man would probably not seem a fool. In fact, in the world's eyes, he's probably quite successful. He's got a nice home on the beach with a Porsche in the garage, a jacuzzi on the back porch, and he just bought a 90-inch 1080p smart LED HD TV for $3,999 with his Costco membership. I was, getting, I was getting worried. First service gave me more laughs than that, but, but you guys filled it in. Uh, this guy, he's well-respected in his community for his hard work and honesty. And at the end of the day, you might be friends with this guy. He's pretty fun to hang out with, and his life is pretty comfortable, and everything around him seems pretty safe. Now, when you think about the wise man, he might have had all these same things, except the reality is that his house has been built on something completely different. The reason being is that he knows a storm is brewing and he's not so concerned with maintaining the comforts of his home as he is with making sure that he can survive the storm. The things that he has, he wouldn't mind losing because he knows that in the end, they won't last. The foolish man has become so distracted by the things of this world that he's forgotten pretty much about the storm. He knows it's a possibility, but it's probably unlikely that it would happen to him. I mean, look at his house. It's awesome. He's got a lot of good things going for him, and he certainly didn't, doesn't deserve to go through such hardship. He's happy to remain in the comforts of his home, and he certainly wouldn't want anything to disturb that. From time to time, he might be caught off guard by some, by some anxiety that he feels over losing all of this stuff. But days and months and years go by, and the foolish man continues to enjoy the luxuries of his life. But then the storm comes, and the foolish man has a lot to lose. Everything he cares about is stored in that house. His wife accidentally dents his Porsche on her way home to a friend's house. His mother calls and tells him his father just saw a doctor and he might have cancer. His teenage daughter decides to throw a party at his house while he and his wife are away one night, and her ill-tempered friends cause damage to his TV. The house begins to crumble. Then the worst happens. He loses his job. His whole world seems to have fallen apart. He can no longer afford to pay his electric bill to keep his jacuzzi hot all the time. And even though his wife is supportive, he's not sure who he can depend on because he doesn't have real relationships with the guys at church and doesn't know where to look for help. Now, the God that he has heard about doesn't seem interesting at all. He thinks to himself, this is God's fault. He's punishing me for something. There's no way this should be happening to me. His trust was in himself, but now he feels like a failure and is embarrassed to show his face on Sunday mornings. The righteousness that the foolish man thought he had is gone now, and the job loss ultimately ends in the loss of his home. On one cloudy day during the month of April, the foolish man puts the last box into the moving truck and drives away with his family to build his kingdom somewhere else. A storm of similar nature hits the wise man, but he hasn't yet moved. In fact, the fullness of his relationship with God has only gotten better. Despite the many health issues his younger son faces, the seemingly insurmountable challenge he faces in the workplace, and his undependable car that breaks down often on his commute to and from work, he's faithful to obey the words of Christ. When his elderly in-laws are in need of extra care, he gladly welcomes them into his home. And even though he faces some financial hardships, he has continued to support his church and give to those in need. The days and the months and the years go by, and the storm continues to beat against his house, pushing him down further and further where he finds himself on his knees before the Father. 
Often he turns to God's word for comfort as he endures the suffering set before him. He meditates daily on the word of God and knows that in the end, when the storm passes, his house will stand, for he has built his home, his life, his kingdom on the true foundation, the foundation of Christ. One of the wise man's favorite passages might be 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10, which says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. If he has learned anything to this point, it is that if he spends his whole life trying to avoid pain and suffering, grief and disappointment, and only seek his own comfort and safety, he will never be met with God's unmatched grace or witness the glory of the cross. His salvation is in faith, is through faith in Christ, and he experiences new mercies of God every morning. So ask yourself, which of the two men do I identify with? Who do I connect with most? Are you the one who hears and does not? Have you heard lots of things about Jesus? but on the last day your disobedience to his words is all you have to show for? Are you more concerned about the securities of this life that you're willing to miss out on God's great riches in eternity? Are you living in a way that is disobedient to God's word or being stubborn in what he has called you to do? The foolish man became distracted by the world and got caught up in finding comfort in earthly things. He was naive to the storm that was coming and decided to build his house on an unstable foundation on the sand. His little kingdom he had built was based off of personal safety, and he was unwilling to do anything uncomfortable. In the end, as the scripture says, the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Is that you? Are you more like the foolish man? Is your house going to fall too? Or are you one who hears and does? Are you hearing the words of Jesus and doing what he says? When God asks you to do things, do you listen and obey? Is your hope in Christ and his righteousness rather than your own? Jesus' promise to the disciples and to the crowd and to us this morning is that to those who obey, even though the storm comes, the foundation is firm and the house will stand. Will you take him up on that today? For Amy and me, these were questions that we began to ponder about two years ago when we first started hearing God's instruction to pursue foster parenting. To us, it seemed a bit cloudy and uncomfortable, yet God continued to prompt our hearts through the Holy Spirit that this was something we were supposed to do. And so uh, right now I'm going to ask Amy to come up and we're going to share a bit of our story with you. Thanks. Thanks.